I wrote President Carter, well, really drew some drawings when I was about four and invited myself to the White House for my birthday party. And I threw in a penny and my sister threw in a dollar and my mom translated why I call translated my drawings into a letter. And when I took this job, I remember David Ferriero telling me that he had written a president or two and had the letters and found these letters in the collection. And I was like, no one's going to have this. What are you talking about? And so I went and I looked in the stacks and sure enough, my drawings and letter that my mother wrote are in the collection. Hi everybody, it's Marcy Bullock welcoming you back to Wolfpack Career Chats, where we normalize the struggle of being a student and leaving your student identity behind you after graduation and building a life you love. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Wolfpack fans. Today is really exciting because we are celebrating Black History Month with Dr. Meredith Evans. Hello, Dr. Evans. Hello. Happy to be here. So happy to have you, an NC State Wolfpack alum. Will you please tell your esteemed story of the educational path you took and where you are now? Sure. I'd love to. So I went to undergrad at Clark Atlanta University. I come from a Clark Atlanta family. And in intentionally, I went to do mass communications. I wanted to be the next Oprah. I guess I'm dating myself there. And I had a love for history. And so I was a dual major. And after a few classes in mass comm, I decided that wasn't for me. It seemed difficult to understand how a 30-second news story could be all the information. And having studied history and really enjoying that and realizing, you know, there's like a 300 or 500 page book on what somebody makes a 30 second news story. I said, oh, this is a better track for me. And at that point, I had gotten introduced to research and archives and different kinds of libraries. And I thought, oh, this is fascinating. I get to kind of curate. I wonder who curates this sort of information to get us to do the research and how does it all work? And so intentionally, I thought I'm going to become a faculty member and teach other students how to do this. And I was really excited about that. And then life happened. My father passed away. So I ended up working in food and hospitality, which also I loved. I loved food and hospitality. It gave me a really good sense of business and budgeting and customer service, just really, it was really great. And then I circled back to my true passion of history and teaching and ended up falling into library science. I have really great sorors from Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated and good friends who were librarians. And they were just like, you manage food and hospitality forever. You're falling asleep all the time. You could do that in a library and be home by six. And I was like, really? And I thought, this is great. And they were like, you like books, you like history. This is a perfect fit. And so I went to library school. And from there, I was going to take a job. Because I was like, oh, you know, I'm getting older. Faculty seems far away. Um, but then it all fell into place. I had an opportunity to do either a fellowship in California or to work on my PhD. And I chose, at first I chose Chapel Hill to do my PhD. And so that's how I got to North Carolina and what great schools. And so I liked my time at Chapel Hill. And I, after my first year, I realized I could take classes other places. And in the fine town of Raleigh, there's North Carolina State. And I had already started working in the special collections there 
which great rich collections there. And I thought, oh my goodness, there's so many great classes in their public history program that I really wanted to take. Document editing and um, just exposure to museums and cultural heritage from a different perspective as a librarian. And I loved it and really had great moments in those classes. And it just really solidified my future. So I had here, I had this sort of business experience from restaurants, and then I had this librarian experience of how to organize information and make it accessible and customer service. And then NC State gave me, how do you become a real practitioner in all cultural heritage beyond libraries, which combined all those three things together led me to become an archivist, which is like the best kept secret in our information world is the archivist. We are everything. (laughs) I'm super biased. An archivist does everything. And knowing that just that combination of education just really led me to great pride in the work that I currently do. What a wonderful story. And I there's so much I want to dive into on that. So the first thing, uh, I know currently you are the director of the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library and Museum, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. I 100% need to come visit that. That sounds like an amazing gig. Uh, like you said, as archivist, you do everything. So tell us more about what that job is like. It sounds so exciting. Yeah, so. So, I mean, it's really fantastic. I am super lucky to have a living president and to have met him and sat with him and worked with him. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I want to ask more about that, but I'll I'll wait. (laughs) And a great, you know, great first lady as well. I think she's definitely Mrs. Uh, Rosalind Carter is probably definitely my top three favorite first ladies. But, um, you know, my trajectory there is interesting, too. I really... I was in academia for quite some time, um, not necessarily teaching, although I did teach, but also working in libraries and academic libraries, particularly in special collections and in fundraising and, you know, renovations and all those great things. And um, this job never got filled. I had um, interviewed for this job and another job in St. Louis, and I took the job in St. Louis at WashU. And um, this job was still vacant. And I have family in Atlanta. I'm a Clark Atlanta grad. And so I had friends in Atlanta and a young son at the time. And they called me and they said, hey, we really want to interview for you this job. And I was like, I'm really happy where I am. And they were like, no, you should really consider this. So I interviewed and met with a really good a mentor of mine who was archivist of the United States, David Ferriero, who I'd known when I was in Carolina. He was at Duke when I was at Carolina. So we had a great talk and then I met the Carters. And how do you say no to that? (laughs) They were really great and forthcoming. And it was my first time having an actual museum. So I've always been in libraries and archives with gallery space, but this time I had a museum, which is a different way to express cultural heritage than just, you know, records or exhibitions in terms of gallery space. So it was really exciting. And I will never forget that interview with President Carter and Mrs. Carter, because he, his first question was, 
have you ever been a federal employee before? Because the libraries, presidential libraries are run by the National Archives. And I said, no, I haven't. And he started to laugh. <laughs> and I never understood that until I became a federal employee. And I was like, oh, I see. I see what he's saying now. Um, but it was great. Talking with them was great. Talking with the staff and different people who had worked at presidential libraries. I, I, did, I did my homework. Anytime I take a job, I do the homework to make sure it's a good fit, not just professionally, but culturally. I think it's important to be in a workplace that's empowering and allows you to do things outside of the box and just do the things that you know are right for your organization or for your staff. And so that's how I landed the job. And I've never looked back. <laughs> that's phenomenal. And I'm literally just like, I'm talking to a celebrity and this is so amazing. I'm just, you know, fangirling out on you. And I love this whole description of this interaction with President Carter because I've worked for the federal government too, and my dad did as well. So I totally know what you're talking about, but I'm just imagining him chuckling at that point going, oh, okay, well, welcome to some bureaucracy. So what would you say has been the most memorable experience you've had in this role? I know that's a really hard question. Um, the interview clearly is like, how do you top that? It's, it's hard to choose, but I, I, will, I will say for me, this is, I'm always amazed that this is full circle for me. So I wrote President Carter, well, really drew some drawings when I was about four and invited myself to the White House for my birthday party. And I threw in a penny and my sister threw in a dollar and my mom translated why I call translated my drawings into a letter. And when I took this job, I remember David Ferriero telling me that he had written a president or two and had the letters and found these letters in the collection. And I was like, no one's going to have this. What are you talking about? And so I went and I looked in the stacks and sure enough, my drawings and letter that my mother wrote are in the collection. Incredible. And so I think to myself, what are the odds of you writing and getting your mail and constituency mail in a federal facility that you now work for with the living president? I mean, it's just like an amazing situation. So for me, I mean, the highlight so far of this job is finding that letter and being able to share that moment with President Carter saying, I found this letter. I love that story, Dr. Evans, from the standpoint of, I, I just want to know, get in your brain as a little toddler, what possessed you to draw a picture and invite yourself to the White House for your birthday? I guess I've always been a little bit confident. <laughs> I like to say an extrovert. Um, I just, you know, I remember, it's strange because you don't always remember stuff at that age, but I remember parts of his presidency, honestly. I remember, you know, the gas lines and I remember putting on a sweater and I, I remember my mom really supporting, supporting him and my dad. I just remember that. And I just thought, you know, this big white house, you know, my mom talking to me about what the president is and does. And I was just like, I want to go to the house and I want to be like, I want my party there. And, you know, we did it. I drew pictures and she wrote a letter and he he did he did decline, <laughs> but he sent my dollar and my penny back and a book on the White House, which is, you know, and I still have those things today, which means I probably was an archivist before I knew what an archivist was. 
Oh, and, and when you just said, you know, you started your, your whole thought about your career progression was maybe it would be in communication, maybe it would be in history, then you worked in food. But honestly, this was with you from your, your youngest age. And yeah. now, like you said, it's full circle. And for college students who are making career choices, what advice do you have? You know, my advice is find something you enjoy and don't give up. Even if you take a detour for whatever reasons, family or you know, finances, or just because it seems interesting, you follow your passion. You, it always comes back to what you really want to do and what, what things you like. I find that people take jobs for the money and don't like them. And I think you should the amount of time we spend in school and the amount of time we spend at work really dominates. <laughs> our time. I don't think we do anything else more than working or attending school than maybe sleeping, if that, right? And so you want those those moments at work to be enjoyable, or you want it to be something you want to do and passionate about. And so for me, I knew as much as I liked food and hospitality, I really liked the managing part of that and the customer service part of that. And I get to still do that, but in an even more passion of mine, which is history and documenting history and curating and diversifying collections so that if we continue in our country to write history based on what we've read or based on these papers or artifacts, then I wanted to represent the actual people who live here. And so I spent a lot of time making sure that collections are diverse, even this one. Um, it's federal and they're government records, but there are things we can describe and highlight that the average citizen may not know. You know, Carter has really fantastic letters, you know, sort of like the last generation of writers who wrote on everything and wrote on memos and notes. And, but he has documents that's, you know, that he wrote that say, I want to make sure that we're bringing in women and minority in high level federal positions and, you know, not low grade levels, but higher grade levels. And he, He's passionate about that, and but it's, it's documented, right? It's not something we hear. It's not a story. There's a letter. There's memos that say this. I'm looking forward to seeing your reports about the work in this area. And so for me, you know, why hide stuff like that? Why don't we, why don't we promote things that represent a holistic view of who he was as a person, but also what he tried to do and, and what he has, has accomplished in the presidency? And then how do you make it interesting? So I get to do all of that. And so my advice is always, and I manage people. So my advice is always find the things that you are passionate about that you like and figure out a way to make that a career or make it a real solid part of your life. I think one of the worst things I hear from students when you ask them, why are they in college? They say to get a job. And I'm like, no, undergrad is where you kind of find yourself and explore and get to just take a bunch of classes <laughs> and find out what you like, right? And then you can kind of, you have the last two years to sort of narrow it down and say, okay, will this thing I'm passionate about or these classes that really, I really enjoyed, will that lead into, you know, a job that I can, so I can eat, you know, or, or some basic things like that. Um, you know, I find that people, they're dancers in college, but they're, you know, poli-sci majors because that's, they want to be lawyers because that's where the money is. And I thought, 
you know, you can dance too, and you can be a lawyer at a dance company, <laughs> you know, find where your passion is and that's what you should pursue. Oh, I am getting chills because you're speaking my language. And when you just described this whole piece of how we don't know some things about history, I wanted to dive into that because you were describing that President Carter wanted to have women and minorities in these roles, these executive roles. This was in the 70s. I mean, I'm literally, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of jaw dropping like, wow, what a pioneer. What is something else we might not know? I think we, you know, about the Carter administration, I think we don't know how fantastic Rosalind Carter is. She is not just his spouse and, and mother of his children. She really, she worked and she loved it. She traveled, she worked with refugees. She's always been a fighter for mental health and spoke before different forms of government about it. And I think people only think, see the president and don't see the families that support him or do work as well. The East Wing is an office for the first lady because Mrs. Carter wanted an office and that's what he gave her. And it's been that ever since. And so there's little tidbits that I think people tend to only see the president because that's what the news promotes. But there's other people in that office who work and oftentimes the spouse does more than decorate and do the Christmas trees every holiday. They have quite a bit of fiery smarts themselves and do some work. And so that's that's also really fantastic about this. That's that's really fantastic. And you, I, I just have to go back to something you said earlier. You said she is one of my three favorite first ladies. So I'm gotta know who are your top three, Dr. Evans. <laughs> my top three, uh, Michelle Obama's still at the top. I mean, she's that's I came, as my son points out, I can't even watch a documentary without crying in the first five minutes about, yeah, I just, I mean, like talk about resonating with me. It's like, I can't, if I meet her, I'll probably be one of those people just bust out crying. I was um, hoping you'd say that. Cause like, I just, for people who can't <laughs> see what I just did, because this is a podcast, I just held up the book, the light yeah. we carry that Michelle Obama um, just released. And I, I was hoping that would be one of your top three. Yeah, that's it's one of my definitely... top three. Um, and Mrs. Carter's number two and Barbara Bush. I have to say, I would have loved to have met Barbara Bush. I think she was just a force to be reckoned with. She has her own projects that she used to do as well. But I just thought, I guess I like all the fiery ones. <laughs> Amen. I mean, you know, it's yes. something. Yeah, they are wonderful role models, as are you. And so let's go back to a phrase you used earlier, cultural heritage. And I would love to know what that means to you, because Obviously, I'm interviewing you during Black History Month because what a great role model are you? So talk about your culture. Yes, really great questions. For me, cultural heritage is about the artifacts and the photographs and the things around you that represent what shaped or formed your formative years. Um, and culture itself is goes, you know, transcends race and ethnicity. I mean, those are parts of it, but culture is how you grew up. It's the neighborhood, it's the city, it's the state. It's all of the things that pour into you that create traditions in your life and in your family's life. Um, that makes it all uh, kind of comprehensive, I guess, is the way to, to look at it. 
And so that includes art and books and artifacts and foods and all of those things, dance and clothing, all of those things shape who we are. And they're all shaped by not just our family structures and family members, but where we grew up and where we live and religion and all those things impact that. And so for me, how do you make sure that you have a holistic document, you know, holistic view um, through documents and artifacts of a person, place, or thing, or idea? I think we tend to think that the paper and the written, you know, that's how most countries are, but the written word is it, you know, that's, that's the evidence, that's the evidence of the event or the person. But I think there's more to that. I think you could have a, a written speech and then see photographs. But then you can see a video, especially in this day and age, you can say, see a video or and hear the, you know, the person saying the speech. That changes the meaning oftentimes. What you're reading says one thing, but how that person um, projects it through their voice or through their animated body movements or the scenery behind them or the reaction of the crowd actually adds a whole nother dynamic to it. So to me, I, I want to go beyond just the paper or just the speech and think about the context in which those things exist. And when you take in that context, that's to me how the written history comes more alive, becomes more accurate, um, and minimizes some of the assumptions that people make by just reading a document. I have learned so much. I'm writing so many things down. So one of the phrases we or words we use in the university is identities. And we try to raise up marginalized identities through the podcast when there are certain months that allow us to celebrate. Could you share the identities that have intersected for you to make up this amazing human I am talking to today? Sure. I, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because my last few years of speaking engagements, I often sort of describe and announce myself. I appreciate people's introductions, but I go beyond the degrees that I hold. And I often let people know that I'm a descendant of slaves, but I'm American and I identify as American. And I do that because I want people not only to relate, but also understand my difference doesn't make me less or more important. It's just a part of my identity and that has impact, but I'm, I'm an American and I, and I embrace that and I embrace everything with it. And so, you know, I let people know that I'm a single mom and I'm a sister and a mother and a daughter because I want them to relate. I want them to understand or, or kind of come to the conversation differently. And so it's interesting because this is Black History Month and it's important. It's important. You know, in some respects, you want to say it's sad that it's a month and, you know, but I tell my son all the time, we celebrate it every day. <laughs> uh -huh. um, every day we celebrate Black History Month, whether it's honoring or discussing an elder or recognizing the accomplishments he or I or my mom or my dad or my sister have accomplished in this in this lifetime. And I think that's important because while we're American, we're also Black. And I feel like we need to be proud of that and embrace that. And I want other people to recognize that it's, there's no stigma with that. It's just nothing but pride. <laughs> So thank you so much, Dr. Meredith Evans. Mm -hmm.